Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. The second part of the dueling questions we just ran over, and it's enough for another episode. So I thought that might happen with Kyle, just a real fountain of information. Excellent podcast with the Wax Museum. Strictly basketball, but that's what the dueling questions is about. This is the rest of it. Thanks, sponsors, Top Spinini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So enjoy this basketball with Kyle, and, and thank Thank you for listening. Okay, let's follow up on the whole triple-double and the whole Westbrook thing. Now, Westbrook appears to be chasing that ring going to Los Angeles. What is his hobby legacy as of right now? Let's say he doesn't win that ring. Is the hobby going to be more forgiving towards him than maybe basketball people in general that talk about chasing the the triple-doubles and stealing rebounds? Is the hobby going to be a little more forgiving? I think the hobby's going to be forgiving if the Lakers win it all and Russell Westbrook becomes an unselfish player. <laughs> and still, he still could get a lot of assists because he can get in the lane and dish it off. But there's only one ball. There's only right. one ball. So his stats have to take a hit. And he, he can play defense when he's ferocious when he wants to be and when he attacks. So I think if he takes one for the team and tries to fit in, I think his hobby cred is going to go up. That would mean his points per game, assists per game, rebounds per game, all could go down. And yet I would respect him more if he did. It's one of the reasons why Mark Cuban doesn't like Russell Westbrook. He doesn't think he's a superstar. He thinks he's just a star. Because he can't elevate those around him. Well, he doesn't need to elevate AD and LeBron. All he's got right. to do is show up and play a part. And I won't say not mess it up, but he, he can really add a lot of value. Mm-hmm. So I think the true fan out there that's a collector, and I think most basketball card collectors do follow the sport, I think they're going to appreciate Russell Westbrook really taking it for the team. I could be wrong, but if he's averaging 30 points a game and 10 rebounds, 10 assists, and, and they don't win at all, that, that's bad to me. So yeah. we'll see. I think he could have his moment this year, though. You have to think one of those guys is going to go down and they're going to in desperate need of scoring, and, and maybe we and will see a little old Russ. He can do it all. And the other good thing is what Luca found is that Having another guy on the team that can do it all, not all the time, but can step up when you're on the bench or when you want to take a breather, somebody else can be ball dominant and be a threat to the other team. And so if LeBron's sitting on the bench and Russell Westbrook just goes crazy, LeBron's going to be smiling. But LeBron's going to be in the game 39 minutes a game or something. He's going to be maybe 36 now, maybe getting old. Right. I, I hope so. I think we take that guy for granted sometimes. Okay. Kyle, I think you're a balanced advanced basketball collector from what I can tell. I don't know if that means 50-50 vintage and modern or Adam Gray breaks it down into kind of ultra modern the last few years and then not not fully modern, but in between era and then more vintage. But I mean it as a compliment, but how do you see that? Because it seems like you really have an appreciation for the history. There's newer cards and uh, some of the late 90s, early 2000s, some of that kind of golden age as well. Mm-hmm. So what's your ideal balance or what would you recommend somebody getting into basketball? Because I, I think it's simplistic to say, stay with only the new guys or go only vintage. So 33, 33, 33 or 50-50. How do you see the ideal somebody that really loves basketball and wants to get into basketball card? I think it's tricky in basketball, whereas baseball, you've got a lot more options. But basketball, you you go years where they just skip sets, decades where they skip sets. I want to be a Bill Russell collector. He's got three cards 
from his playing days. And two of them are from the same set. I think I would like to have a bigger balance of vintage cards, but instead what I've done, I'm, I'm getting the best of both worlds. I'm buying modern cards of vintage players. Actually, uh, a large part of my collection has moved in that way, especially patches if I can find game-worn stuff of those guys. So that's my version of furthering my vintage collection. But at the same time, it is cool because I compare it with some of my modern guys that I like as well. I don't know what my number would be though. So I I guess in that case, the number would probably be still like 25% actual vintage cards and then 75 modern. But keeping in mind that the modern, it has vintage players. But also that could wind up being 50-50 in terms of dollars. Yeah, it could Uh, be. Even in, in, okay, okay. I'm going to give you a challenge and, and tell me how you'd go about this challenge. Let's say I was a, a wealthy person who was interested in basketball and said, Kyle, I think you really understand the market. I want you to put together a collection for me of important basketball cards. And I want you to get 50 important basketball cards that I could have in my collection that I could show. The caveat is you can't spend more than $100 on any card. So okay. you've got $5,000 to spend or less, you're going to go out there and buy $100 max, best 50 cards you could get. You can do vintage. So how are you going to go? Or modern, you could do whatever you wanted. Would you do raw? Would you do graded? Would you do great players in bad shape, bad players in great shape? What would be the cross-section of 50 cards, 100 bucks or less that you would get for this this person? That really love is, basketball. Okay. If they really love they love basketball. Love basketball. They're a clone of you and they really appreciate okay. the sport. They're really into it and they would appreciate the nuance. Okay. And they may even have a favorite team like you do. Okay. If they love basketball cards too, if that's a kind of on equal footing, then I would go for the best sets and the worst players. But if they're more into basketball and they say, hey, I want something that reflects the history of the game more so than the hobby, then I'm going beat up, raw, you know. $10 Rick Barry rookies that are, are crumpled when that's an easy card to find in decent shape because you got to maximize, get the most bang for your buck. So I would be doing beat up Moses Malone rookies. I'd be, and it'd be very rookie focused because I, I think really that's where everything, if you're talking iconic cards, that's what people want. And, and that's representative of the start. Um, but that, even then that's tough. You're not going to get Jordan. You're going to have to pick substitutes for some of those guys. You can't not have Jordan. So could you have a red PMG? Would it be possible if the person said, I'd really like to have one of those? And would you say, hey, dude, no chance? Or would you say, you know, let me work on that? What do you think? For under 100 bucks? Under 100 max. Uh, these days, you, you could player, get it. You any could condition. Maybe get a retro one if we're counting those, the UD retro ones, but I don't think so. I, commons, it seems like I saw a common, a Todd Fuller at the National, they wanted 600 bucks for. So I don't think we'd be getting that red PMG. Put a bullet hole in it. Is it down to 500? I don't know. You know, Maybe. those cards are condition sensitive, but the price is not condition sensitive of those. Yeah. It's just hard to find them, period. Yeah, I guess you could get a PMG from the, I just bought a couple from the 2008 set. They're all just peeling and flaking all over the place, but you could get a Roy Hibbert. Yeah. Same thing, Jambalaya's. Could you get him a Jambalaya? For okay. under 100? I'm trying to think what, who the worst player that has one would be. I'm not sure. I don't think at this point you could get him maybe a TJ Ford if we're talking the early 2000s version. I don't know what TJ is at now. I think he's under 100 still, but you're not going to get anyone that has any real hobby relevance. Down here, he went to University of Texas. So he's on my wall. 
Okay. Okay. So if, if that's the case, then that's awesome for you because you can get all of the coveted 2003 cards that people want for LeBron. You just get them for TJ Ford and you get all the best ones. You get the credentials, you get everything at not LeBron prices. It, 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 yeah, much less. Okay. Okay. The uh, I'm a numbers guy. And so I love the fact that in many of those years, there were pack odds listed on the packs. And now not it's not always done. And so you've got to deduce it or sometimes they'll say what it is in the literature, but it's hard. And one of the things people liked about the old basketball magazines is some of the set reviews would lay that out and make it easier. How uh, much do you go by those uh, pack odds when you're contemplating what you're going to? There are certain cards that were one per box and Mm -hmm. some that are one per several boxes or one per case. And we'd always try to hypothesize what the market would bear, what the price would be. But sometimes, especially with some of those beautiful inserts in the late 90s, the pack odds are overcome by the beauty of the insert or the parallel. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes the beauty and the scarcity matches up and you get these stratospheric prices. But to what extent do you take those pack odds because you're a sleuth, you're a detective as well in your mindset. Do you think some of those pack odds are off or that it's more conservative than what they said? Because some of these things, I'm I'm still wondering after all these years, where are these cards? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. A lot of the, the stuff where you talked about where the design meets the actual scarcity, if I had pulled that stuff as a kid, which maybe I did, I wouldn't know that. I hate the thought that I might have misplaced a PMG, but to me, I remember pulling a, a Jordan Red Starquest thinking it was red because he played for the Bulls because I pulled a John Starks blue and he played for the Knicks. And in my seven or eight year old mind, that's the way I rationalized it, which I thought even was impressive then. I was impressed with myself that I figured it out a few years later to find out that I hadn't. Just to follow up and to finish up this thread is that and one of the points I was going to make is that when something is in retail packaging, the pack odds have a different interpretation because little Kyle, 25 years ago, who's buying uh, a box or some packs at Walmart or Target or Kmart or something, the retail customer was not as savvy as the mm-hmm. hobby store customer who bought the hobby packs and opened the packs in the presence of the hobby shop owner who did not backflips, but said, hey, I'll be happy to take that off your hands in some cases. So the retail thing just went, I, I think some of them are lost. And yeah. when you look at the late 90s and, and some of those, there were there was a lot of retail distribution there. It's what got the card companies in trouble because they were having to make deals. They were just aggressively pushing stuff out there. If it was remainder and it came back, then that's a loser. So... Anyway, but pack odds were helpful. I wish they'd do that. I wish everything was either serial numbered or pack odds to where you could deduce how tough it is. So now, because you are a numbers guy, is that something that you enjoy more now? Because we have to do it. I've seen people, they'll watch a case break on YouTube or several case breaks to try and look for consistency and they'll figure out, okay, this card fell so many times per case and then they break it down from there. I like looking at jerseys and stuff, but the numbers are a little bit out of my realm and I'm really impressed. I've got a friend, Evan, that's been on the show that does an incredible job with that. I I have to think that appeals some to you now. It not only appeals to me, we did some version of that back in the day when I was in charge, Mm -hmm. back when I still was running the company, that we'd have some kind of hypothetical 
pricing, trying to get some framework of what the company said. And then we'd get some boxes, we'd open them up, we'd observe, we'd talk to dealers, and we'd try to verify or amplify or clarify. Yeah. But now with so many breakers out there, it allows for the verification or clarification. So it's good. I think more accurate information is good for our industry. It, it, it breeds confidence that, you know, that these cards are truly tough. There really are one per case. Yeah. I think the mystery element still adds a little bit of excitement, even if we are disappointed in the end. I, I think about the Mosaic Genesis cards in basketball. They were exciting when we thought they were rare. We figured out a little bit later, maybe they're not that rare, but it made for an exciting chase. And a lot of people felt like they had something rare. Sometimes it goes the other way. You don't realize something's rare and then you find out that it is. But So anyway, thanks, Kyle. Keep up the great work with your Wax Museum podcast. I really enjoy that. I wish there was a football wax museum and a hockey wax museum and a baseball wax museum but keep up the great work with basketball really enjoy it and thanks listeners the